0: Hello and welcome to the WFNY CornerCast. I am your host, Joe Gerberry, joined as always by Mitch Crawl and Ethan Forness. Uh, tonight is a very special episode of the podcast, uh, not a Saved by the Bell special episode where someone has an uh, issue with substances, but we have um, Zach Meisel here uh, from The Athletic, uh, Indians beat writer. Uh, Zach, how are you guys doing? Guardians. Guardians. Ah! The first time. Three episodes. He finally, it happened. Ah. Oh. That means I have to do something. We'll figure out later what I what I actually have to do for the uh for this, for being the first one to break the uh the seal on that. So how are you guys doing tonight?
1: You almost seconds. Congrats. I did <laughs>
0: I can't believe I did that. I have it written on the dock here too. Gosh darn it. All right. Uh Zach, how is Arizona, first off first and foremost? Uh we were talking before about the the weather. Is that, how's that weather out there?
1: Um i i don't i don't want to rub it in i mean it's it's <laughs> it's nice today was 82 and sunny uh, you know most days you don't see a cloud Sort hard to complain
2: yeah you were saying that uh off air that 95 in the shade doesn't feel hot and that's like not even imaginable for me
1: yeah i went to, uh we had a day last week where i think it was about 95 96 and uh, I don't remember where the team was, but I decided I was going to skip the game and go sit by the pool and just hammer out a couple stories, thinking, you know, I got to be by some water. It's, it doesn't get hotter than this. And I was, like, shivering. It, it's so it's so weird. It's, you know, people don't want to hear us. Um, people don't want to talk about the weather for all night. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, it's so different. I mean, if we get maybe Mike
2: Trout will tune in.
1: If we get ninety five <laughs> in Cleveland, you're like ducking, you're searching for cover. So. Yeah, for no sure, doubt.
0: definitely the uh, humidity on that one. So, well, let's get right into it. We'll, we can do news and notes uh, another night since we have you here, Zach. Um, you had uh, you're you're closer obviously to the team than us. The big question that all of us have: um, the rumors keep coming and coming about this, uh, the Jose Ramirez extension. Um, how close do you think the team is at this point in time? You had mentioned recently in one of uh, uh, your articles that it seems like it's more likely than not to happen. Um, what is? Do, have you, do you have any kind of insight as to if that's close or, um, or how close that could be possibly?
1: It's hard to gauge. I think these things are tough because neither side wants to cave until they have to, Right. You know, if you're Ramirez's agent, you're going to hold out for, I don't know, $35 million a year until the last possible second, right? And if you're the team, and we know how this team operates, you're going to hold out for 75 cents a year until you have to cave, right? <laughs> so, like, eventually you have to find middle ground, and unlike with MLB's deadlines, you have to kind of tackle this before opening day just because – the team prefers to do that. The player doesn't want this lingering into the season. So um, it, it's tough to say. I mean, they've they've been talking. I know talks sort of picked up this past weekend. They'll continue. I I, I, you know, I published a story this morning on Wednesday morning, and, and you know I, I had sat on it for a few days just because it's really difficult to. You don't want to write something like there's momentum or they're optimistic because all it takes is one side to say, you know what? I don't think this is going to work out even if we've had productive discussions and then it's dead. And then, you know, you don't want to lead people down the wrong path. And so I grappled like with my editors for a couple of days and was talking to sources constantly and annoying the hell out of them trying to get the proper wording and, proper sense of where these talks are, but it's just, it's such a difficult thing because you, you don't know. And like the two sides don't even know. I mean, who's to say that like, like neither side is going to want to lay all their cards on the table initially. Right. So right. it's just, it's difficult. And these, these, these people know, I mean, you have agents and you have front office people who have mastered the art of negotiation. And so I think this is a super long-winded way of saying I don't know, um, but I will say like, there's much more of a chance here than there ever was for Francisco Lindor, than there ever was for some of the other guys who I know fl- fans have clamored for the team to keep who, who they didn't. Um, for a lot of reasons, the payroll, the the dormant offseason, the fact that Jose legitimately is fine staying in Cleveland forever, um and where the team is wanting to have some foundation to build around for all those reasons there's more optimism now than there has been
2: in a long time that's a, yeah. i think that's a really important perspective to give and i'm glad you're giving it because i think for so many i mean i'm a, I'm a long-time cleveland fan i you know first and foremost a fan and uh, you know, it does feel so much more optimistic, and it does feel like that. You know, you I, I understand why you don't want to use the terms momentum because it it feels like there's hope right now, and you and you don't want to be the guy who's giving false hope. Um, so I think that's really good perspective.
1: I, okay. so, I think. Sorry, was, sorry I just want to add. So much depends on who you talk to, right? So like, I've talked to both camps, and I've talked to neutral third parties, and I've talked to like you can tell. Sometimes, and not necessarily this example, but you can tell that, you know, a reporter maybe talked to one side, depending on what the wording is, or and it doesn't even have to be a contract extension; it could be a trade rumor, a free agency rumor. Like you can, if you really read into it, you can sometimes deduce where someone's getting their information. And something like this, if you talk to one side and one side only, they're probably going to be pretty hesitant to admit that. There's a lot of momentum because if that gets out, you know, if you talk to Chris Antonetti or Mike Chernoff or Paul Dolan and they confide in you that, you know what, I think this is going to happen. And you tweet that out and your perspective is just from talking to the team and it doesn't happen. then whoever fed you that information is going to be pissed because people are going to be mad at the team. They didn't get it done. So it's just such a, a delicate situation. And you know i think this is i say this now and i you never know when this is going to wrap up but like i think this is going to go into early next week and maybe jose and his agent wake up one day and change their mind maybe the team you know changes how they want to approach things so you're yeah like you said like you don't want to you don't want to set everybody up just to be pissed off in the end
0: <laughs> right we saw we we saw a lot of that of the um, the dual sides it, during the collective bargaining agreement. You know the those discussions where we were you would see one side of Twitter, you know, one Twitter account being super positive, uh, you know that, and then another Twitter account being completely the opposite, where it was the worst meeting. Everybody was very angry about everything. You know the 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 offer was a horrible offer, and then, but then you know, going back to the first guy, it was, you know, movement was made and we are, um you know, that, that kind of thing. So um, go ahead, Ethan, you want did you what you were, I cut you off. So
3: no, I, I just wanted to say, that's something that I really appreciate. And I think the three of us and your readers appreciate that you have access that we could only dream to have. And you're just not on Twitter being like, Oh, I heard this. The public needs to know about it. So you really give a solid perspective for a fan base that's honestly bordering on apathetic right now. And both the team and the fans could really use a win. And regardless of how 2022 plays out, I I think a lot of people would consider it a success if you lock up Jose for most of, if not the rest of his
1: career. I can't really think of downsides aside from... You know, maybe he somehow falls off a cliff in a few years and just, you know, it's like the Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols contracts. But even then, you're not paying anybody. If you're not going to pay him, you know, when are you eventually going to spend that money? What do you hold around? And I've said all this to front office people, too. It's like, you know, this is what I mean, if you asked a thousand random Cleveland fans and reporters for their insight, like they're all going to agree. And we don't agree on much.
2: <laughs> yeah it just makes too much sense from a baseball perspective for it not to to happen as well as like from the the logistical standpoint like of wanting to stay here the money might be right um we'll see but I'm, I'm kind of curious just because you know this team has no money committed as you've pointed out like and in they have all the money well all the money they're willing to spend to spend on Jose Ramirez um, but they did promise that. Not promises are strong word. They hinted that payroll would go up this this uh, you know this off and coming into the season. So I'm kind of curious, like who else is on extension radar? Who else should we be watching? Is there anyone else? That's a good question. You know, I've gotten a lot of people to ask in
1: recent days and weeks because I've I reported it since last summer. I mean, their their plans were to spend. This winter, Paul Dolan said it on the record. Chris Antonetti has said it on the record. They both said it not on the record, which is important because press conferences a lot of times are just pointless. Um, but I think, I still believe that was the plan. I mean, they, they are steadfast in that they the lockout ended and they tried to get the targets that they had targeted and it didn't work out. And plan B was, it was either plan A was, I don't want to say go all in, but it was do a lot of shit. And plan B was play the kids. You know, there was no in between. There was no half step. So you're right. It's like, all right, your payroll's fifty million or so. And maybe you were budgeting for 70. I, I don't know what the exact number would have been, what their limit would have been. Um but it's not even just Jose, because he's already making twelve, so if you increased that to, if you doubled it, you're still. I mean, their payroll is like barely more than a third of what the Twins
2: is, right? Yeah, it's, I'll it's, say it. It's embarrassing.
1: Yeah, it's it's a joke, and so yeah, I. I, I think I think they'd love to lock up Bieber. I'm very skeptical that will ever happen. Um, I think he's kind of had his sights set on free agency since before he was the unanimous Cy Young winner. Um, You never know because pitchers get injured and who knows, but it's a good question. Like I guess Reyes maybe would be a candidate. I don't know if they've talked, but then you think, if you look at the rest of the roster, the only options are probably starting pitchers. And I don't know, who their second best pitcher is. I don't know, like how to rank those other guys two through five. I have no idea. So I don't know who I would, if I were them, who I would offer a contract to, and how much it would be for. You know, the interesting thing that I don't think has been talked about much or at all, and this is probably more for a year from now, but you know, you think about these teams that don't spend money. How do they lock up their players so that you don't have this vicious cycle where anytime a good player gets to Second year of arbitration, you're trading them. It's to sign them before they reach the majors, right? And I just wonder,
2: Yeah,
1: like a year from now, give George Valera a seven-year contract. Give Brian Rocchio a seven-year contract. Um, it's a little bit of a gamble, but if those guys pan out the way you think they will, then you've got them locked up for cheap for a long time, and you can build them out.
2: Right, and goodwill amongst the fan base, too. Only they cared sure.
0: about that. <laughs> so you mentioned um, Plan A would be not necessarily all in, but uh, you know there were some options out there. Um, we've seen Matt Olson be reported. Do you know of any other trade targets that were possibly out there or free agency signings that uh, they missed on?
1: They went hard after Jesse Winker. They okay. went. They were interested in him last season too. Um. I don't know what they would have given up. I mean, prospects. but I don't know right. who they didn't want Eugenio Suarez's contract. I think that's what um, did that in when the Mariners were in, were fine taking him. It. I mean, it, it was like like I, I thought I was going to be writing the Guardians acquire Jesse Winker. So, um, but the thing that I don't know is you know they're not like those two guys Olson and Winker. They had two years of control each, so you doesn't it seem like you're speeding up that timeline? You know they're not one Jesse Winker away from a championship, so I think there right. would have been a ripple effect there where if you get one of those guys, you're probably going to be pretty aggressive, um, trying to add more.
0: Interesting. We uh, I it, uh, I know there's uh. Been long rumored Twitter interest in Jesse Winker, so it's kind of good and uh, nice to know that that was not uh, ill founded, um, and that was definitely somebody that we would have uh, uh, liked to see out in uh, out in the outfield. Um, Ethan, go ahead. Uh, you want to? Uh, you're up next before going in order. <laughs> no, I, I just wanted to chime in and say, as the the resident believer,
3: that the team would attempt to pull something uh, out of their hat for Olson. Uh, After seeing the contract extension that he got with the Braves almost immediately and knowing that hopefully they would sit down at the negotiating table with Jose, I can kind of understand how they either fell out of those talks or eliminated themselves.
1: Yeah, I wish we could see the whole blueprint for like, if they got one of those guys, what was next? How different would this have looked? Because it's so odd to go from some of the top targets out there. To nothing. Like you went from Jesse Winker to Bradley Zimmer. How do you – it feels like you skipped some steps in the middle there.
0: This is Brian Shaw erasure. <laughs> Luke Maley erasure. How dare you? Um,
2: Yeah, no. So we were talking about trades, and, you know, I feel like I have a kind of I'm, – I'm very curious about, like, this trade market because we've had so little time. And I think – I don't know. It just feels like most of the front – front office focuses have been on free agency like there you we haven't really seen like blockbuster trades happen um, so i'm like kind of curious if we're going to see a you know a more active trade period in like march or april and may uh, or if it's just going to be a super frenzy deadline um, yeah do you have a, do you have any like insight into that at all
1: well i think it's a good point um, i think Not being able to communicate during the lockout with other teams obviously played a role, but I still thought there'd be more trades. Don't these guys have burner phones? I mean, come on.
2: (laughs) They they say trades happen fast too. It's like
1: (laughs) I think, I think we'll see a very active, like June, July, right? Like, why is Oakland holding on to their starting pitchers? Um, There are other players out there too. And eventually you get to a point where like maybe it does make more sense for Pittsburgh to trade Brian Reynolds or Baltimore to trade Cedric Mullins. Um, Yeah, there's a lot to sort out. I think there were some teams that just said, you know, we kind of have to feel out what's happening after this lockout and then make some decisions. And, you know, if, if you're not contending, maybe you didn't need to act with haste. So it's a good question. I mean, we never see transactions in April and May. So yeah, maybe
2: a uh, trade market will start early. I hope so. You, you, could you? Uh, do you have any, like, we all know the, the Cedric Mullins and the Brian Reynolds and, and those names. The Cattell Martes, the newly paid more Cattell Martes. <laughs> um, do, do you have any, like, kind of hidden sleeper targets? I, I've been a big Sean Murphy proponent myself.
1: He makes a ton of sense. I mean... They they can't figure out right now if it's going to be Lavastida or trying to finagle Sandy Leone onto the roster for a week or two as the backup catcher for a couple weeks. And I just keep thinking, why just go trade for Sean Murphy and then none of this is an issue. And I don't know if Naylor is going to be able to hit enough to be a reliable major leaguer. Lavastida has defensive questions, so why don't you just go solve it all with one swift move there? Um, no, I. I don't know. I Reynolds always seemed like the perfect guy to me, especially with like four years of control right now. Um, like I think Austin Meadows could very well get traded at some point. I think he would make some sense, but I don't know. Like there's, it can't be picky, right? Like you have two or three spots in the lineup that are solved beyond this season. So whoever you're interested in, just go get them.
0: You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at WhiskeyBusinessPod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.
3: Yeah, and that's all fair points. But, you know, we've talked about now about guys that maybe Cleveland has missed out on. But let's talk about some of the guys who we know they have now. And you've talked about it ad nauseum. We've talked about it on our site uh, through things that we've published through our private side. About what a train wreck this 40 man roster is. How nothing makes sense. There's probably four guys who are going to start the year on the 26, 28 man roster who may not have had jobs any other year in the likes of Bradley Zimmer, maybe Oscar Mercado, Logan Allen, Sam Hedges. So you talked about it on the the is Godcast on Monday about how this is going to be kind of a, a puzzle of a roster as the year goes on and guys are going to be on short leashes. So in your opinion of those guys on the, the 26 to 28 man roster, depending on how the month of April goes that are out of options, who's got the best chance to stick it out or who do you think is going to be the first to go?
1: So out of option Mercado Chang, Bobby Bradley. Bobby Bradley, yes. Um,
3: uh, Logan Allen, I think, too.
1: Yeah. He's going to survive because they don't have pitchers. I mean, they – it's – I know they're bugged about the imbalance between pitchers and position players. I think they have, I to say, 16 pitchers on the 40-man roster. It might be 17 now, but that includes Karen Cech, who's injured. Um. Maybe it is sixteen with Cody Morris on the sixty day. Um, either way. They 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 don't have pitchers and you're gonna need more than ever to get through April because these guys aren't built up. And it's not even just the starters, but like I don't know that Nick Sandlin is gonna be ready to pitch three times in four days, right out of the shoot. I don't know that. You know, can do you know you can rely on Anthony Ghost to throw strikes every time? Do you know what you're gonna get from Trevor Steffen? Like I the bullpen's a mess, so Anyone who's on the 40 man roster is going to be needed. With the position players, Zimmer's got to have the shortest leash. And I, I've I never understood why they tendered him a contract. I understand defensive value when he's in center field, but he's not going to be here. I understand speed and the occasional 480 foot home run somehow. Um, but 60
3: strikeouts hard. apart. Yeah.
1: He's probably more valuable to another team than he is to Cleveland. And I'm shocked that they haven't just traded him to, like, the Marlins or the, I don't know, the Phillies for cash considerations. That still could very well happen. Um, So I would think he's got the shortest leash. After that, I I guess – I mean, like, you could say Chang because they have so many infielders, but I also think he's probably – the most likely of the four to produce, but I, I'm not confident in any of them. I, I
0: think Chang I, feels almost like the most trusted out of the out of the infield mix out of that, just because he's been around for so long. He struggled early on, but now you know this. The end of last year, he picked up uh, his production a little bit. I feel like he's a little bit more of the trusted guy. But yeah, he, he definitely has the lower ceiling though. Either
1: so, but like Ethan, to your the, the overarching point here. The, you'll see waves this season, right? Like we're going to see some Zimmer and Mercado and Chang and Bradley probably. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if eventually Naylor's your first baseman and Steven Kwan's in a corner outfield spot and Arias is at short and Jimenez is at second. So I, I think it's going to be similar to last year where it feels like extended spring training sometimes, but you should see more movement because – Guys are running out of chances or you're dipping into the farm system for prospects who weren't ready last year, but who are ready this year and who actually have upside. As yeah. It's, it's, an,
3: it's, Oh, I was go just going to say finish it's, up your it, point. it's such a strange position to be in because they're sitting on nine shortstops, but it feels like you have to replace nine utility guys with those shortstops the way the roster is currently constructed.
1: Yeah. And, and who do you like, Mainly getting injured, like they might have to DFA someone to add Sandy Leone for a week or two. And like, who do you DFA? You can't DFA a pitcher because you need you don't have enough. You can't. And else is going to
3: jump on that prospect that you cut.
1: Exactly. So they're. I ran into a front office person um, at one of the games this week, and I, I was working on a roster projection story, and I'm like, Is it as impossible? to put this puzzle together and they were like, yeah, let me know when you're done with that roster projection story. We can figure out what we should do. I mean, it's just, (laughs) and I know like to the common fan, they're just like, well, who cares? Cut Bradley Zimmer, cut Mercado, cut everybody. But you have to do this the right way so that the guys are getting the right opportunities, right? Like you can't, obviously no one's going to shed a tear, if Zimmer is gone or if Bradley's hitting, if he's got a 600 PS in mid-May and they let go of him. But you you have to do it in the right way so that guys are coming up at the right you know, you got to get an answer um, and or Chang before you can call up Arias. Because otherwise, you're going to have all these guys up at once and you're not going to have enough playing time for all of them. We kind of saw that last year. Like Owen Miller, <laughs> I don't know if he can hit or not. But he needs to play more than, like, twice a week.
2: It's kind of weird. Uh, It feels like Chang's been around so long, but he only has, like, 140 more career plate appearances than than Miller, which is just kind of wild to think about. Like, none of these guys have played at all.
1: Let me ask you guys this. Is there one player who you're just like, no no matter what happens, like, I believe in this guy. Like, I just – I know he's gonna hit. It's Quan. All three of I think it's Quan for all. Kwan. Yep. Yeah.
0: Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. And yeah. uh, and you you mentioned you yeah we're gonna see Steve Quan in left field, Gabriel Arias at shortstop, uh, Jimenez at second. Uh, there's a name that's going to be left off then that we're all thinking about. It's Ahmed Rosario, who's just now starting his left field experiment. What do you think, why why was he being kept at shortstop for so long and 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 pigeonholed by the front office as being the starting shortstop when you have Arias ready, when you have, um, you know, Rocchio at the door, Freeman at the door, you know, all these guys. Jimenez is a better defensive shortstop than um, almost anybody on the roster, yet it's Rosario that's the one that... Um, you know, is, is being blocked off there. And now he's being moved to left field because Arias got sent down to triple a, you know, there's, there's questions there. So any idea as to why our uh, Ahmed is, uh, has been, has been so uh, stuck there at shortstop.
1: Yeah. Part of it, I think, you know, he had the center field experiment last year, but then Jimenez was struggling. So they sent him down. So, it just made sense to put Rosario back at shortstop, and then they traded for Miles Straw. So they felt like, you know, we can't teach this guy a new position in the middle of the season. Um, this year, I don't think the lockout helped. You know, they couldn't communicate with the players. And I, he has never really fit, in my opinion. I mean, I, I know he's – it's a low bar to clear. He's been pretty good offensively. Um, but you're right. Like he was never going to be the long-term shortstop. He only has two years of control. You have all these other guys. I I don't know how he really profiles as a left fielder because I I, don't, you want to see like Nolan Jones at some point and Quan Naylor and Richie Palacios. I don't know where Ahmed Rosario fits to me. He makes sense as a trade candidate, but I understand when you have a lineup that has like two above average hitters you're maybe um hesitant to deal a guy like that so maybe you see that in july um but yeah i mean it it doesn't make sense to play him at shortstop because you have like you need to find out about jimenez you need to find out about arias and those guys can't play second base because you need to find out about chang you need to find out about miller tyler freeman eventually then next year Rokio and. The year after that, Tana. The year after that, Carson Tucker. And it just never ends. And I don't understand what you're doing with all these shortstops.
3: It's so and hard like, to remember Carson Tucker and that parade of shortstops. <laughs> he feels like he's so far down that you're just never gonna get to him with the non-guys ahead of him.
2: Future defensive specialist Milan Tolentino. No, um <laughs> no, I um I feel like I have like this deep love for Richie Palacios. Um obviously like never met the guy and I've watched him on minor league TV, like, you know, a dozen times or whatever, but like the guy is small, which I'm five, seven played in high school. Like I have a very, uh, I have a, a, an appreciation for the small player. Um, and he swings out of his shoes. Like he just is up there, like swing as hard as he possibly can. Have you, have you had any access to him at all? And uh, is he, does he, does he have the, that much character? Like, does he have as much character to him as his swing does?
1: (laughs) Yeah, a a little bit. um, Super nice down-to-earth guy. I like anyone who wears, like, the glasses when hitting. Um, You know, I don't know if it would work, but you start thinking about a lineup. First of all, they're going to run like crazy. Like, they're going to be super aggressive on the bases. They were incredibly efficient stealing bases last year, especially in the second half. Like Rosario didn't get caught all season. Straw is elite. Jose is elite. Like Jimenez is a, is a really good base player. Like they could do a ton of damage. And you think about like get Quan up and let him do his thing with all the contacts he makes and the really good on base percentage he could have. Palacios cut from a similar mold where he's a high on base percentage guy, makes a lot of contact. Like, that's what Owen Miller should be. That's what Tyler Freeman should be. Even with, like, Josh Naylor's track record is a lot of contact and pretty even strikeout and walk ratios. Think about... That's like the Kansas City Royals when they won the championship, like, on... Well, it wouldn't be steroids because they're not hitting for power, but on speed, (laughs) right?
0: (laughs) On the the greenies.
1: Exactly. Like, they're all... Like, you could have a lineup full of smaller guys who just make a ton of contact and steal a ton of bases. Like, it, it would be fun to watch. So, philosophy fits that, fits that group.
0: Didn't Kansas City win a World Series that way? Yeah.
1: It can work. So, out.
3: Zach, you, we've, I, I think it's been pretty well documented that the the farm system philosophy and the draft strategy has been these smaller contact good on-base percentage high speed kind of guys and it's nice to kind of see that paying off but something that I've noticed and was brought to my attention today is that the team had a not insignificant number of guys having really good numbers at the plate this spring and really small sample sizes and I'd like to think some of that is attributed to new hitting coach Chris Valaika so I, I know you've got access to the team. Is there anything that you picked up or have talking to him about that he's doing differently that these guys are picking up on more so than they did with Ty Van Berklio? Or I, I know I read this morning uh, in your Quan piece where he took one look at him and said, no, I'm not touching
1: that. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I mean, Chris Valleca kind of has it made because he's just not Ty Van Berklio. So he's going to have the highest approval rating of a Cleveland coach um, for a long time, probably. And that said, even he has admitted, like, there's, there's a learning period. He wasn't able to talk to players. He wasn't able to get to know them during the lockout. So the lockout ended, and he took a few days where he just texted or called every single player he could to just start building that relationship, because you can't, he watched a video of everybody during the lockout, but you can't, like, just get in the cage with them once and start making all these changes. You have to learn their tendencies, learn, like, how they prefer to be taught, what's their appetite for data and technology. Um, there's, there's a lot to it. So even he's admitted, like, that. there's been a period, it's been, I mean, it's basically, it's been, what, two weeks? Uh, when did the lock uh, Like two and a half weeks ago? Something like that. that
0: has it out. really only been that short of time?
1: So wow. he's just been watching and trying to learn about these guys. Um, so I don't think we can just give him credit for transforming everything already, but I think this has been trending in a better direction. And you could say there was only the only way to go was up because <laughs> the rating has been so bad for so long. Um, but they started making some pretty substantial changes a few years ago, just in how they operated and, um, like the way Quan was describing, like how they remade his swing. Like I had never heard of that before where they're, I mean, you know, they do that kind of stuff on the pitching side where they have a lab and they're just like analyzing you and your, your mechanics. Um, so I guess it's good that they're doing that on the hitting side now too. And looks like it is slowly starting to pay dividends
2: yeah well they're still doing it on the pitching side too did you happen to see uh the eric longenhagen fangraphs piece today if it's okay is, if you didn't
1: i is spino
2: yeah he basically pumped espino up to uh a 60 future value which is like absolutely insane right like that's so exciting um what, what do you see with like the pitching pipeline i mean I think Pilkington went tonight and threw about 50 pitches. he on the major league squad, you think, in, in April, being one of those uh, bulk arms? Yeah, I think
1: it depends. I don't know if they're going to carry nine relievers or ten. It might depend on you – know, Sully might be stretched out. Like, that guy's crazy. I mean, he's he's <laughs> stretched out quite a bit. Like, I don't know how many pigbacking options they think they need. Um. So originally, I think it would be Eaton or Tobias Myers, but I guess it's possible it could be both. It's though. I mean, so I mean like, you got a high school kid who was like throwing ninety-eight against poor little pimple-faced seventeen-year-olds. Like, <laughs> it's not
2: fair, you know? they were they were basically, or in his in the piece, he was basically like, yeah, if this guy was in Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt last year, he would like. Have better stuff. You'd be more hypes than Jack Leiter, and you know more hypes than Casey Mize, and like that. Just like that is the stuff to dream on as a Cleveland fan. Holy cow! I can't wait. Definitely feel it. Like it's a crazy man just. <laughs> go ahead.
1: <laughs> Their Zach. pitching success has been with all these guys who weren't heralded prospects. Like you know, none of yeah. these guys in the re- McKenzie, obviously, but he was a first-round pick. But you know, Kluber and Bieber and Pleisak and Savali, and those were not guys who were these uh, right So yeah. it's crazy to think what could this pitching someone who throws 100 miles an hour and has a nasty
2: slider. Right. Like McKenzie's a unicorn like and and the other guys, yeah, they're just kind of like they kind of had what seems like kind of typical normal profiles and what are they going to do with this guy who's basically just like you know, an absolute machine, like just bigger, taller, stronger, throws harder. His, his slider is like class A speed slider. It's like 92 to 94. Oh my God. I just can't wait. I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> uh, speaking of excited, Zach, you are obviously down there in Arizona with the team. Um, who is the one guy that you are most excited about or that you think is going to just absolutely show out this year? Pitching,
1: getting so, it doesn't matter. I think McKenzie, McKenzie, Um you know, with him, like, it, I don't want to, like, say it was just simple. But it really was, like, flipping a switch. He needed to, like, he needed proof that he belonged, that his stuff played. That 2020 season was so, I don't know, it was weird. And he hadn't pitched in two years and is just thrown into the action and, um initially thrived and then you saw like his velocity just plummet as that year went on so that was like a nice little sneak peek but he didn't go through the ups and downs of a full season and keep his arm in shape and get a good routine going and so you have to go through those growing pains and he went through them and then he rebounded from them I mean I think he's got such good stuff you called him a unicorn and like he can throw ninety-two if he wants, and because he's just got these long skinny arms, it gets up on a hitter so fast. And he's got the curveball to go with. I mean, he's I'm excited to see him over a full season in this new It's like Tristan, I know I belong here and I'm better than you, Mackenzie, instead of I'm nervous to throw a pitch over the plate and I might not survive the first inning. Don't you go know
3: that-
2: Yeah, I mean, the, I will never forget the uh the White Sox game where I think um I like a podcast that I really like effectively wild did like a little segment on it. I think it was the longest streak of three true outcomes to open up a game. He I think he struck out 6, walked 4 and gave up a homer, two homers or something like that. It was It's like let's not see that Tristan anymore, please. I think every Cleveland starting
1: pitcher goes through that. Like Danny Salazar his 2014 was full of those. Trevor Bauer had it for a while. Clevenger had some of those. It's like a rite of passage, I think.
2: Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, well, I guess I guess now, uh, you know, I we've cursed Connor Pilkington to the same fate. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not.
3: So, Zach, we've kind of said all this to to kind of come full circle now. We've talked about the new guys coming up. We've talked about the roster nightmare. We've talked about high expectations for guys like McKenzie. But in all seriousness, this is a club that won 80 games last year, seemingly against all odds. Terry Francona's back this year. If the pitching's healthy and all else being equal, you'd like to think you could steal a couple of wins and go farther. But at the same time, if we're going to be playing, you know, extended spring training deep into the summer, trying to figure out who's part of the future and who's not going towards 2023. How, and you with the access that you have to execs and and the team, obviously, how is 2022, how are the Guardians going to measure success? Is it still playoff push? Is it sign Jose and posture for 23? Or is it just prospect development?
1: So last year it was intended to be a transition year and if they stumbled into playoff contention. That was a huge bonus. And for a while they were having their cake and eating it too. And then the bottom fell out and it almost seemed like they didn't really learn much about their young guys or maybe they did. It was just, you know, what you learned, you didn't like. Um, So I think this year is a little similar in the standpoint of Contending is going to be tough, right? Even with the extra playoff spot, this division is difficult. It's hard to evaluate who besides Chicago might finish in second. Like you can put those teams in any order, all four of them, aside from the White Sox, and like I wouldn't be shocked by any finish. Um, and they all might be, uh, they all might be seventy-five to eighty-five win teams. So I think and like casual fans will want to hear this, but like, I think a success for 2022 is knowing that the off season going into 2023, there's not a ton of work to do to complete the roster. Right. Like let's say they sign Ramirez to an extension, which I think is you said it, but like that's, That is also, like, that should be at the top of the priority list and would make 2022 a success in part. But Ramirez, Reyes, I guess Straw, like, I don't know any other pieces yet to the puzzle on offense. So can you find three more this season who you like, who you can go into 2023 with? And then maybe you add Valera and – someone else to that mix the following season and so you only have one or two holes to fill during the winter right um on the pitching side same thing like can you get to a point where maybe you're so comfortable with four or five of your starting pitchers and you really like what logan t allen is doing and you really like how cody morris bounces back in the second half so maybe you feel comfortable trading please next winter for a bat like can you get yourself in a position to where contending in 2023 and, like, legitimately contending, like like being right there with the White Sox to win the division, not just winning 83 games and being the third wild card, can you get to a point where that seems extremely attainable? I think that would be a success. And if you do that, you're probably winning enough games this season – where it's worth watching right like last season in august and september you guys are diehards so i don't know you're probably sitting there every night and and watching and suffering through you know an austin hedges 0 for 4 and i'm like falling asleep in the press box and getting <laughs> hit with a foul ball but like if if things go the way i just described this year then august and september even if they're not firmly in the hunt, it should still be worth watching because you're seeing Arius blossom. You're seeing Stephen Kwan hit 330 with a 410 on base percentage. You're seeing um, Jose Ramirez go for a 40-40 season. Like, and you're seeing a rotation establish itself as the next great Cleveland rotation. So there are a lot of elements to the season where winning and development can go hand in hand, but getting there is going to be tricky.
3: I, I love that answer because it's it's a true dose of reality, but it's not as bitter as the casual fan might might take it to be at first. Because I'm with you, I, I I don't know if they find three guys. I'm I'm gonna you know hope that they get two, but at the same time, it should still be entertaining, watchable baseball for a full 162 if everybody stays healthy. Yeah,
2: I also the one thing that I I wanted to add to that is it just like. If we just talk about a counterfactual, if they don't sign Jose Ramirez, like how can they possibly contend? How can they possibly contend like in the in 23 and beyond? I mean, what path is there to success without Jose Ramirez, right? I mean, I think that's the big issue that we fans have, like you know, how how, how can they honestly say that they're they're trying their hardest to compete? When no, if they don't sign Jose Ramirez, because there's no path to success, it feels like without Jose Ramirez, right? I
1: don't know. It's just, it's a vicious cycle. Let's say you trade Jose Ramirez in July, and you acquire four blue chip prospects, or maybe three and a couple lottery tickets, right? Well, kind of wasting the rotation, and we're gonna have the same conversation with Bieber next winter. And is the rotation without Bieber good enough? We know the lineup without Ramirez isn't good enough. Then you wait for Valera and Rocchio and those guys to um, emerge. But, like, you don't know that they're – like, what's the timeline at that point? And by the time that Valera and Rocchio are really good, I'll be trading Savali and Quattro. I mean, it just – it never ends. So at some point, don't you have to establish some foundation, someone to build around? And – The thing that you've done that makes it doable because they're so averse to remind you, like, we can't tie up X percentage of our payroll into one player. And I'll counter, well, why does it matter what percentage of payroll one player is making? Your payroll is tiny. If your payroll was 100 million, you wouldn't care that you were paying Jose Ramirez 20 million. But if your payroll is 55 million, yes, you might. But it shouldn't matter. You're not paying anybody else. So, and you're not going to pay, it. like, you're relying on, you the youngest roster in the league. And, you know, I, I just, it's it's aggravating to me because, like, I understand the fans' plight. And sometimes I can, like, explain what the team is thinking. And I'm not justifying it, but, like, I understand why Lindor didn't work out here, right? They were never going to give him $35 million a year. And I don't even know if he would have agreed to that. So I understand that. But like we talked about earlier, like I can't think of a reason why it doesn't make sense. And so, yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point. It's like, well, does the alternate reality look like here? And it doesn't look like anything that resembles winning for a long time.
0: Well, let's hope that uh, we're 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 more talking about a an extension in the next uh, couple days, maybe next week before opening day. That's uh, that's obviously all of our hopes here, I think. So, but uh, that's going to be our podcast for the night, Zach. We want to say thank you so much for uh jumping on here with us uh again this is only our third episode of the show and you are so gracious to be here we look forward to that roster projection that uh, you have coming up uh with all the cuts that are coming i'm sure um but uh yeah we didn't want to just want to thank you again for coming on uh the wfny Cornercast. um we will uh, check out all of your stuff over on the athletic and um we'll hope to have you back on uh, sometime maybe during the season we'll, we'll check back in see how that goes so
1: I can't believe we haven't talked about the theme song.
0: Okay. <laughs> I was like, what was really funny was I literally pitched to the guys earlier. I'm like, I was thinking about trying to find some intro music for the podcast, just some, something that I can play completely forgot about the, the theme song that the guardians books out today about the, uh, um, the, the song I, I have, I have no feelings one way or let's, the other about it. So let,
2: let's not make that our theme song. No one will listen to our podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't think we can get that royalty free. I don't think we, we don't have license even for that. So Good. We don't want it. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys for checking in and uh, watching us on live, watching us on YouTube, and uh, listening to the podcast. We'll have it up uh, in the morning for everybody. Uh, thank you again for the WFNY Cornercast, uh, for Ethan, for Mitch, for myself. Y'all have a good night.